0: Hi, I'm Beth Sanders, and welcome to the City Nest Making Podcast. I work with citizens, city government, business and community organizations looking for practical ways to navigate the complexities of city life so they can better hear each other and make better cities for themselves as a result. In this podcast series, I explore two questions. Who do our cities need to be to serve us well? And who do we need to be to serve our cities well? Okay, welcome, Dustin. Um, I didn't say this when we were preparing, but part of the pattern is we're going to pretend that we're face to face because we're in the same city, but we can't, we can't gather at this point. Like technically, we could outside, but this is far easier for recording. Yes. But what I've been doing with the podcast is I've been meeting up with people in Edmonton and from outside of Edmonton, but we meet in my backyard, and. For the first time, there's no snow in my backyard, but there's a fire going, and we're just sitting, relaxing in conversation. And it, it's lovely to have you in my little nature sanctuary, this little piece of Edmonton where I make myself at home. So welcome to you.
1: It's uh, great to be here.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we'll just start with a very simple um, question and either of us can start it does not need to be you but just by way of a, of a check-in and my check-in question today is for us to notice one thing that has made us smile today
1: yeah um it's earth week and uh it's also a semester break between the our third and fourth quarters and so a lot of the schools are doing um Earth day celebrations as well as uh, some career fairs and so the last couple of days and this morning I've been doing these uh, zoom calls with um, with high school students across the city of Edmonton talking about uh, urban agriculture and sort of nature loving cities and that was um, uh, this morning's session was particularly fun because I got some I got some good questions from the students
0: Well that sounds energizing
1: yeah that's great
0: yeah. My my moment that made me smile earlier today is usually in the morning. I'm sitting right here, and I'll hear my 20 year old crawl up base. Well, he doesn't crawl, but he comes up the basement and then across the, the hall from my office. Here is the is the shower. So my 20 year old comes up, and usually there's like a little hand that reaches out to say hi, and I do the same thing. But I was in a different location today, and. I was watching to see if he would notice where i am to just give me the little wave and he didn't notice me but he still looked in to see where i was and it just put this big smile on my face that like we don't even talk but yet somehow we're still kind of checking in on each other make sure everybody's okay but it did put a big grin on my face
1: yeah you in here yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's cute
0: (laughs) yeah she's not there but okay i'll just go have my shower so um, yes, I've had the pleasure of of the pandemic time with two people in their 20s, early 20s, with me. Um, but it's gone. It's gone. We are good roommates. It's kind of how I I sum it up. <laughs> but we have very different interests. Um, and one of mine is um, about cities and nature and what is the relationship between cities and nature. And I haven't connected with you for quite a long time. So this is a nice opportunity to hear a bit about what you're up to these days and what your thinking is about how cities don't need to be a draw on nature and cause harm. But in fact, it could be the reverse that cities could serve Earth well. And it being Earth Week this week, this magically actually is is good timing for us to talk about cities and and nature so what are you up to what's energizing you these days
1: Uh, yeah uh well it's spring (laughs) and so um (laughs) after you know many months of, of of winter and kind of being um not stuck inside but but more or less inside uh especially with covid it's it's nice to get back out in the yard and be thinking about the garden um this, the yard that I'm in, the house that I'm in, I've been, you know, we've we've totally <laughs> redone everything outside, and it's it's at the point where it's starting to look like something. Um, so it it is simultaneously um, like I'm sim- simultaneously looking forward to being outside and not as overwhelmed as I've been in the past about how much work I have to get done, and um, uh, so that's that's great. Uh, but I also run a, a tree nursery. In the city, and so, uh, and I've been doing some propagation classes. So, getting seeds in the ground and watching little little, you know, bits of life poke out um, is really rewarding and kind of exciting. Uh, and, yeah, still dabbling in education. Um, I'm helping some uh, teachers at uh, a local school uh, tackle tackle the science 20 curriculum in a little bit of a different way. So, lots of exploration.
0: Well, that's lovely. You know, you're, you're so one of the people when I was writing Nest City in a way I had in mind. And when people would ask me, so who's the audience for for this book you're writing, Beth, or this book you have written? And I can't tell you how many times in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it's the people out there who are paying attention to the city around them, noticing the like the work, whether it's paid or unpaid, the, the, like the things that just like nourish you and then do those things, which then in turn end up being a massive contribution to the city. Even when we think they're small contributions, they're massive contributions. And you're, you're very much one of those people, but I was um, just before we got on the call here to record this, I was looking at a part of Nest City around how vocation is a journey of conscious citizenship. So I was thinking about how um, Jane Jacobs in her book, The Nature of Economies, she offers up a few different ways to think about work. So I was just looking at this kind of by accident, but it was perfect, like synchronous timing with, with us having this conversation. So one way to think about work, she says, is to encourage initiative and resourcefulness in yourself. So when not discouraged or suppressed, the qualities of taking initiative and being resourceful are abundant and how genius and extraordinary talent are not necessary preconditions. Just if you feel like there's something that needs to get done, then just step in and go and do it. So her point is just encourage initiative. So you exemplify that. I'm sure our listeners will hear a little bit more about that in a minute. One of the other things she said, which is just so fascinating in connection to the work that you do, Dustin, is to look for and support endangered species of work in both ourself and others, and that different kinds of work are our economic gene pools.
1: Ooh, I like this a lot.
0: Isn't this neat? Um, There's two other things. So the third one was to work with passion. For yourself, for others, and do the stuff that you love to do. So you exemplify that also. And then the fourth one is to recognize that a healthy work life contributes to a city's healthy economic life.
1: This is all great. Um, When you were talking about, (laughs) uh, you kind of reminded me of um, a situation, this is quite a few years ago, but I remember uh, I got back from teaching abroad in Mexico, and um, I don't know if it's just the difference between, I was in Monterey, big city, 7 million people, um, not a lot of room, everything's pretty pretty tight together, uh, and I remember getting back to Canada and, and, and Edmonton and thinking, wow, there's room everywhere, um, like so spacious, and I had these um, sort of flashbacks to walking around like um, temples and stuff in the jungle that were totally taken over by 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 the forest and uh thinking like whoa like like there's so much space here like what if we what if we brought more nature in there and and i had uh uh i didn't know what to call it but i had this idea to like run around the neighborhood old strathcona where i was living at the time and uh just to plant things in these vacant spaces and i remember facebook was new throughout a, a an invitation being like hey who wants to do this thing a bunch of people showed up and we met at McIntyre park and there there's like 30 people like with, with shovels and seeds and they're looking at me and they're going, um, okay, what do we do? And I'm like, I remember having this, this, this moment where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but then this like, oh wait, maybe nobody does. (laughs) And so let's acknowledge that. And, um, like sort of sort of move on with it like like get something done and that you took that was really, initiative that was really formative <laughs> for me because you know so often it's you know there's a project or something that I think is worth doing and um, you know you kind of get that like there's often that like imposter syndrome I think that everybody experiences on some level um, but, you know, if you realize that that that's a that's a common experience, um, and the thing that you're trying to do is worth doing, that's helpful helpful motivation.
0: And this this first bit that I read about initiative and resourcefulness in yourself, and that you don't need to be a genius or have extraordinary talent yeah like that's not necessary. It's just a matter of like sticking your neck out there or sending that message out to say, "Join me and let's go do something." And was this then a precursor to the work that you did to reforest the ravines?
1: Yeah, so we ended up, that, that project turned into the Edmonton Gorilla Gardeners. Um, I had already had my education degree. I was largely trying to avoid getting a, a full-time job um, because I was really enjoying playing around with some of these other ideas. Um, but uh, I eventually ended up going and, and uh, working at Jasper Place High School but the, the, the caveat was um, the principal basically invited me to garden the school. Um, and so I was able to take sort of this random guerrilla gardening stuff that we were doing and sort of streamline that into, into school programming um, and that led to the work that I do now with Sustainable Food Edmonton, helping other schools set up urban agriculture projects, my own urban agriculture initiatives like the beekeeping stuff I do and the the, the tree planting stuff I do. Um, and I guess I've I've um, I guess somewhere along the lines I I, I went straight and uh, started working with city administration. Um, to kind of pilot or try some of these things out, and uh, so working on the the uh, River Valley Food Forest with Roots for Trees, uh, starting in 2014, I think was a really that's that's yeah. what I'm
0: thinking of, yeah, yeah. Because I remember I was on your mail list, and every time you were doing it, I had some sort of thing happening in life that I that I couldn't I couldn't make it, so I was always there in spirit. And I didn't live too far from the site. So I could go afterwards and like, can I spot what they did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't participating directly, but definitely watching and observing like this real live contribution that you were initiating and making in the, in the city. Like I, it was noticeable to me and it was, and like palpable in that, yeah, he's got the the job job over at the high school, but what you were doing there, like from my distance looked magical, but it was also Dustin spreading out his contribution, like pollinating the city, right?
1: I, I think once you, one of the things that I've realized um, over the last 10 years is like the importance of storytelling um, and of kind of... Uh, putting a vision out there, you, you, people don't really, you can't really create what you can't see. And so by, you know, by, sh- by sharing the possibilities, I, I think it, it becomes easier for other people to consider, you know, these, these different options or these different paths that we could go down. And so, you know, I think the biggest benefit of some of the projects I've done, whether that particular project has been ultimately successful or not is that, um, you know, hopefully it, it sort of creates the conditions necessary to, to, you know, try something else. Um, There is, I think, I think a lot of, I, a lot of what I do is kind of rooted in like this idea of like ecological succession. And I think I've talked to you about this in the past. It's like, if you have a parking lot, just asphalt it's it's void of life right it's it's it heats up during the day it's inhospitable it doesn't hold any water um but you get like a tiny little crack in there and because it's expanding and it's contracting with the daytime temperatures and uh with you know summer and winter and you, you finally get a little imperfection and that little imperfection grows and you get a little bit of water that gets in there and then it freezes and it thaws and it freezes and it, and it thaws and expands. And eventually a little bit of debris maybe gets hung up on this crack and forms a tiniest little bit of soil. And then the seed comes along and falls in and starts to sprout. And now you have, you know, like something that was lifeless that now has this like one little dandelion poking up and that dandelion like absorbs water and carbon dioxide and it flowers and a, a bug comes and visits the flower and a bee comes or a, a bird comes to eat the bug maybe it defecates and it builds up a little bit of organic matter and the cracks are getting bigger and more dandelions are sprouting and so there's like if you come back to that parking lot at some future date it's no longer a parking lot it's it's you know it's maybe a i don't know a weedy patch of crumbling asphalt but if you come back further after that you know it's sort of a, a got a bit of a, a meadowy thing going on you come back further after that you've got a forest and so we have it's like there there's a direction to that right it's going from inhospitable to something that um is like filled with life and uh, like like ecologically we call that that succession. Right. And I think if you break that word down succession to like just success, like success is taking the conditions that you have at your disposal. Yeah. And creating the conditions conducive for what can come next. And if you can move it, you know, a little bit down that continuum to more complexity, more possibilities, then I, I kind of view that as you're sort of working with that that process. That process is what I would call nature. I think, you know, trees and soil and like, these are all things that were created by nature, but nature is this, this expanding process. And so I try to take a look at the, pro- the projects I choose to work in as ways of taking what's available and creating the conditions for what comes next. Um, can you can you be a force of nature in moving that moving that succession along? Um, and
0: is the measuring stick in that that the next is somehow more life?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. So in that process, right, we're moving towards abundance, we're moving towards possibilities, we're moving towards um, yeah more life. And so if you can if you can measure like I think that's a really good measuring stick is, you know, if I interact with this land, like, can I interact with this landscape in a way that creates possibilities? Can yeah. I interact with the human beings in my life in a way that increase, that creates possibilities um, versus, you know, hacking back at the weeds or, you know, <laughs> keeping somebody from, from, you know, pursuing something that, that they, that they're passionate about. Um, so I think that there's kind of a weird built in, like ecological ethic there um, yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's no, kind of been interesting that. to explore.
0: And it, it, what's fascinating about that example of the parking lot is the, the parking lot and the asphalt is put there by humans. Yes. Um, so, is, so is the city, like the, the, the parking lot is just a fractal version of the city that we also sure. make for ourselves to live in, to move in, to park in, etc. But I think I think one of the flaws of the way we often think about our relationship with cities is to think that that asphalt is evil, the concrete is evil, the buildings are evil, but somehow in that, if there's some sort of disassociation we're doing within ourselves, because we're imagining somehow then that we and our actions are then not part of a okay. natural process. So yeah. if, uh, if an ant colony, is nature if a bird's nest is nature if a beehive is nature then why isn't the the settlements that we make for ourselves to live in a city or a town why isn't that also nature which then just brings that question up for me and i know you have it too which is so how can the habitat that we make for ourselves not just be an ecological draw right but be an ecological contribution despite the fact that we we use materials or invent materials that might not seem to be natural but yet there still is that that succession orientation that that life wants to be there so then how are we our own worst enemies and I know that your practice and like various projects that you do is about that life affirming nature affirming human affirming quality of how we how we look at our our city whether it's a ravine, a parking
1: lot. Yeah, yeah um, there's there's a book somewhere behind me called Eco Cities by Richard Register.
0: Oh, I have it beside um, me too. It's
1: right up here, Eco Cities.
0: <laughs> now and... you're making me look at my bookshelf so we could wave them to yeah. each other. Yeah, and
1: uh, he, I, I think he was quoting somebody else, so I don't want um, to, it may or may not be his, his quote directly, but um, there's a line in there that really stood out for me, and he he says that cities are places for maximizing connections. That is what a city does, and which I think is a really great question. Like what what are cities for? Because I think you could you could talk to different planners and different different thoughts on uh, you know schools of urban planning, and I think you're going to get slightly different answers. Um, but I love that I love that one. C- cities are places for maximizing connections. So then and- my
0: question is connections of what well between what
1: between what and so you know it, I mean a city is a place where you can live and you can work and you can play and and there's serendipity and there's opportunities and so so I mean on a on a really kind of like basic level there's there's you know there's um you know, social connections we're trying to maximize, we're trying to maximize um, economic opportunities, economic connections. Um, you know, obviously we need to move around these spaces. And so there's a lot of decisions on what kinds of connections we wanna make there. And I think there's, you know, we can have whole conversations about what, what the best way to do that is. Um, but the fact that a city is a place for maximizing connections for me is interesting because that is what an ecosystem does. An ecosystem is a place for maximizing connections. And the difference between that parking lot and that forest that it turns into is a forest is filled with connect- connections, and a parking lot is has has met many fewer. Yeah. Um, and so, I I think, I firmly believe, um, based on that kind of definition of nature as this this kind of, you know, moving moving towards more complexity and more connections, I firmly believe that cities are a product of nature. And that mm. and that like, like this this around us that you know that we constructed is natural. Um and it's kind I'll of say counter- more
0: about it being a product of nature because I've thought about it of cities as being nature, mm-hmm. but a product of nature is a new twist. Do you say more about that?
1: Yeah, I guess I mean I'm defining nature as a process, right? Nature is this this process of sort of taking what's there and sort of carving out future opportunities and niches. And I think, you know, what what a city does is by bringing people together and occupations together and infrastructure together, you end up with all of these sort of Let's call them I don't know human niches, and and people move into those niches for for jobs or for social reasons, and as those niches are filled, further niches are created, and more opportunity comes out of that, and which you know keeps attracting people to to urban centers to the point now where you know more than fifty percent of the planet lives in cities, and that seems to be increasing, um, and so. I mean, in in a weird way, you know, the the same reason why an organism, you know, moves into a particular niche in a forest, you know, people or occupations or businesses are are carving out and finding their own niches within this sort of, um, you know, maybe human centered ecosystem, but but an ecosystem uh, nonetheless. Uh, and so I think I think you could you could say that like the patterns and principles that are happening in ecology, you know, work very well, or, 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 or can, you can kind of find analogs of them um, in, in built environments. And so, you know, one of the things that happens in a, in a forest is, you know, it captures and holds onto resources, and then it cycles those resources over and over again. And so if you, I mean, if you dump a, a bucket of water into a parking lot, it sort of evaporates and it's gone. You dump that same bucket of water into a forest and you know it gets soaked up by the soil, all the soil life starts, you know, incorporating it into their bodies, they're eating each other and that that water's moving around and you know eventually it ends up at a plant it ends up in a leaf and then a bug eats the leaf and then a bird eats the eats the bug and then the bird defecates. I'm really into birds defecating for some reason ends up back in the soil and so every bit of resource that's in that forest has because of the connections there's opportunities for it to loop yeah right
0: parking lot is too simple right yeah now maybe and let's be clear let's be clear that you know you dump a bucket of water on a parking lot sometimes a year it's just going to freeze and then later (laughs) it'll melt and evaporate this is true (laughs) yeah um you know i got the winter city thing rolling in me i want to think about the city you know all all four seasons yes all that said if if it's really simple and it's asphalt with maybe one crack there's only so much that system can do with the that's water right. that lands on that's
1: right now it. you if it's can... a more
0: complex system yes. then way more things are going to happen and just rudimentary things about how we handle water in the city yeah. is you know it lands on concrete not all of the city is concrete but this yeah. is part of how we could rejig how we make our cities to have more permeable surfaces and natural filtration yes but if it lands on the road it goes down into a pipe it might be in a water retention pond and have some nature and some magic happening or it just all goes in the pipe and it goes somewhere which is not is not a natural as natural a process as it could be
1: yeah. Ecosystems tend to keep resources like high up in, as high up in the ecosystem as possible so that it can sort of slowly trickle through and, and, and be put to productive use as it does. And in cities, when it comes to, I guess, maybe to back up, like, like cities are also capturing resources. Um, and, and one way to think about, a, like, if you have a re let's, if you have a something that if you're accumulating something in your, system that you don't have a use for, we tend to just call that waste. Right. So we, we produce, you know, we have wastewater. Um, we've got, you know, waste that we put out once a week that the, that the, um, uh, the solid solid waste. Yeah. And so, um, what from an ecosystem perspective, what's missing is like there's a connection that's missing there. And so how can you build in those connections to turn that waste into a resource, and this is where I think, you know, ecosystems are very good at that. Um, and so, while cities accumulate resources, sometimes the resources we accumulate are, you know, sewage, um, runoff from the city, excess pollution. And so, w- it, if those are if those pro- if those problems are just missing connections are there ways of sort of stitching that together with ecosystem solutions to basically design those problems out? Yeah, um, the and answer
0: is, of course there are ways right. to
1: do this. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and th- and that's, that's, you know, when you talk about, you know, green infrastructure, um, I mean, uh, these are like, I think you get something Amazing when you, I mean, you've got all of these fantastic connections of a city. You've got all these fantastic connections in um, in a in a ecosystem, and then where two ecosystems meet, ecologists will call that an ecotone. Right. And an ecotone is like a forest edge meeting a lake, and so you actually get more connections and more diversity. In those places, because you have all of the relationships of like the lake ecosystem, and you've got all the relationships of the forest ecosystem, and then you have this 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 edge where there are organisms that that only exist at that edge. And I think if you can but take what nature, some in a examples city, of that together.
0: be like in a city environment. So I'm thinking about oh. ravines. Yeah, ravines yeah. would be one ecosystem, and then I'm imagining the neighborhood beside a ravine would be a different ecosystem.
1: Yeah. And to some extent, because of the, our land use, you know, my yard may be very different than my neighbor's yard, which may be very different. Right. And so you get in a weird way, you get all these little pockets of like a, like a patchwork of different little ecosystems. And, um, there's a really great, uh, there's a really great book. I will never pronounce the author's name, so I'm, I'm not going to try. Um, it's called Darwin Comes to Town, um, and it's about sort of yes. evolution in cities. I also
0: have, I've also read read that. I spotted that a few years ago. I, I'd yeah. never heard of it. Grab the book, and I, yeah, yeah I have the same.
1: <laughs> and he talks a lot it. about how, yeah, having, ha- the fact that you've got so much going on in, in a city means that you have all these ecological niches, too, that sometimes... Plants and animals. So can there could be, of.
0: there could be more ecological diversity in a city.
1: I would, I would say yes. Um, As in, it's and,
0: possible for us to do, but is not yeah. necessarily the case the way our cities I th- I are f- right now.
1: I think even right now, like if you were to do a survey of all of the plants and animals in Edmonton, and then go out into. I don't know, let's say one of the Edmonton area Land Trust conservation areas, and do a survey there of of the plants. I would think that based on like like strictly number of species that you would find more species in the city of Edmonton, and that's because we have examples of native plants, um, but we also have tons of stuff that we bring here, sort of for better or for worse. And so it's this, it's it's this really kind of mishmash of. Um, sort of native Aspen parkland meets,, um, I don't know, the the horticultural and cultural histories of the of, of the the people in this space. Um, what I think is different is, um, like maybe biomass or bioabundance, right? So you might have, you know, little bits of lots of stuff, but we are missing kind of like this this, you know, sheer mass of things that you might find in a, in a typical forest.
0: So the forest, when you're talking about forest, is making me think of the work that you're doing right now with the urban tree nursery and thinking of that, that kind of work that Jane Jacobs was naming as look for and support endangered species of work. Right. And I, and I don't know if, if what you're doing is an endangered species of work, but it certainly is a rare, a rare kind of work, which is noticing what kinds of trees do or can grow yep. here and then making a point of, of growing them and, and distributing them. And some of what you're growing is native to here and some of what you're growing can grow here and may be able to return to somewhere else because yeah. you're nurturing it, it here, even though it's not native to to this place.
1: Yeah, so I've been working on um, working on a, a tree nursery for the last five years. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I guess it, it's a coming together of a few different things. I'm obviously passionate about nature and cities. Um, I've been playing around in the urban agriculture sphere for a while, but um, I like the idea of growing things that are going to live a long time. It, you know, as much as I like carrots or uh, uh, you know peas or beans, you, you plant them once, you harvest them, and you know you get to start fresh the next next year. So I love the idea of planting something like uh, an American chestnut, which would have the ability to live for hundreds of years and provide food year after year. And so it seems like you get a lot of a lot of long-term kind of bang for your buck with trees. But trees are this like these amazing um I don't know how to describe them, like living pieces of of, of green infrastructure like that that I mean they transpire and evaporate and literally cool the city. Um, they provide habitat, uh, and they tell stories. And I, I think it's the it's that story piece to kind of go back to earlier that um, really draws me to to some of the trees that I've been um, trying to propagate out. And so I have I started with some local varieties, um, not not necessarily native stuff, but. Uh, there's some apricots that were growing on 75th street and so they were gorilla gardened there by some researchers uh from the brooks research station who got seeds from harbin china in the 30s and uh so to collect some of those seeds and to to sort of re um replant the experiment that they planted in the 60s to get in a whole other generation of apricots out in the city of edmonton is 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 kind of fun uh and so is that the
0: kind of story you mean when you talk about the story that the trees have to tell
1: yeah like sometimes there's like a very I mean sometimes like a, a very a tree has a very specific story okay. of like who planted it where the seed came from um sometimes the like goji berries growing across the city like those were brought here by uh, early Chinese settlers who grew it for food and for for medicine and so that plant has you know even if that plant's not, native to here, it has this sort of local history behind it that I find really interesting. And so it's it's fun to find those stories and collect them and and to share them. Um, and of course, a lot of our native plants have all kinds of, of stories and traditions uh, behind them that are that are also worth uh, exploring and telling. And uh, weirdly enough, they're in cities, you know, like, we don't plant a ton of native plants. We see, you know, the city will plant spruce trees in parks or um, black poplar, but most of our boulevard trees are um, ash or elm. And these are plants that are native to North America, but not, not native to here. Yeah. Yeah, so this, yeah, the urban nursery has been fun because it's, uh, it's fun to, well, it's just, it's nice seeing living things. Um, um, so I used to plant out a hundred of something and have a hundred tiny little, uh, you know, future forest, uh, you know, bits of future forest pop up. The, the thing now that I'm working on is to try to find those mechanisms for, for getting them into the hands of communities and people who could most benefit them, benefit from them. Um, There's parts of the city which have less urban canopy. Um, There's parts of the city that experience, you know, there's different different levels of of food security, um, flood mitigation, and so I've been kind of just, I've loosely been describing all of these trees as having different superpowers. right? This one is that this is a storyteller. It can live for like a thousand years. This one here is the food producer. So who, this, who's is, the this is teller? the shade killer. Oh man. Um, they or, they are. Well, I think, yeah. Uh, I mean, things like, things like those apricot trees, I think, you know, they, they tell a story or the gojis. Um, the, there's a, I've been growing out these bristlecone pines, um, which are very slow growing. They're like, they're two years old and they're like an inch and a half tall. Oh, wow. Uh, But, you know, they're native to North America. Um, They're high alpine plants. So they live in these fairly harsh environments, cold environments. And because of climate change, the mountains are getting warmer and they've had to retreat further up the mountain. And uh, so their island that they can live on is just, it's shrinking year by year. And as it turns out, they do fairly well in Edmonton. So Edmonton has a similar climate to a mountaintop in Colorado, as it turns out. Um, and so while they're disappearing in their native range, there's at least right now, a small population of them that are finding refuge in a place like Edmonton. Um, and, you know, maybe even building up a genetic bank of those trees here could then, you know, collecting seeds from them in the future could then go and help repopulate them in their native range. Um, but they also have this ability to live for thousands of years, which is partially why they're slow growing. And so um for me That's there's not like, a
0: carrot Dustin no wonder you like <laughs> that it it's
1: not a carrot yeah yeah I mean I um it's I love this I've been wanting to do the, an art project for years um I haven't really talked about it uh but uh maybe somebody's listening who's who's like yeah I can get a mode with that um but I'd love to grow out a thousand of these thousand year old trees now it's going to take a thousand years to become a thousand years old, but, but I love the idea of, of giving them to a thousand Edmontonians and being like, here's your thousand year old tree. It's, I want you to think about what this city is going to look like in a thousand years.
0: And I want
1: you to plant it. And so it's like, it's this long-term thought experiment and it would be great to, it would be great to, to map where they're at. Um, I would almost like people to create like a planting ceremony for their tree to like document it or like some kind of story or mythology because very few things live for thousands of years, but stories and mythology can live a thousand years. And so I love the idea of collecting stories behind these thousand trees and, um, I know it's ex- exploring different, like exploring or having people explore different ways to keep like, like how do you pass down knowledge of this tree for the next, you know, X number of generations? Yeah. Um, I, or
0: if, I if, if, if I plant a thousand year old tree, either maybe it's in my front yard yeah. for everyone to enjoy, or there's a little, little tiny island green space across the street from me, I plant it there, but somehow it also needs to be known by everybody around that this is a thousand year old tree and it's like, all of us are gonna look after it somehow. And not just us that live right now, but the next generation and the next generation.
1: In fact, most of the people who will take care of it do not exist right now.
0: Totally, like the vast, vast majority. (laughs) This is fascinating because my 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 next door neighbor, so I'm in a a neighborhood, so 50s set Mm -hmm. up. And my my neighbor next door, his the spruce tree in his front yard is his grade one spruce tree from 1954-ish. Like it's it's huge, right? And then it's he's worried about, you know, am I am I one of these days I'm going to have to take it down because he's he's just worried about it yep. and and then I've got I've got the the 2021 grade one spruce tree version in my front yard like one of its right. offspring is clearly and it's the right size right it's like it's exactly what we think of in Edmonton as the tree you get when you finish grade one yes. and and I've been meaning to have a conversation with him. okay so if you get to the point where you're finding that this needs to go and you're feeling sad about it, like there is, there is a replacement for yeah, it. Yeah, it's like right here. You can you can just keep keep it keep it going. Yep. But that's a a sixty year old tree, fifty five year old tree that will meet its its end at some point. So the notion of living two thousand times longer,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: is like. 2,000 times is, I mean, it's hard enough for humans to think 50 or 100 or 200 years out, but a 1,000 is just, is quite mind-blowing, but it is a useful exercise.
1: What is, what does this site look like in a 1,000 years? I think the other thing that I like about it is a lot of the cultural narrative seems to be dystopian, right? And, and it's like, no, 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 the future is going to have at least a thousand (laughs) thousand year old trees in it and you're like oh whoa if the like like I I heard this the other day it's um something along the lines of like like the plot of all these science fiction movies where like the protagonist has to go into the past to change something to make like a better present we are in some presence past right we are in some presence past and we have you know, we have those abilities to make those changes to make that better present. Um, And what
0: would it take? What would it take for us as citizens and a city and society at large to make sure that those trees made it to a thousand years?
1: I think part of it is a little bit of a thought experiment, right? Like, part of it is like, even just looking at existing trees and existing patterns of development, and think gets very hard to predict what development's going to be like in a thousand years. But you know, like where where in a yard typically do trees survive developments? I'm guessing if it's in the middle of your yard, it probably gets destroyed if as like new development happens. But if it's sort of, you know. Close enough to the front property line, but not encroaching on the street, or close enough to the back property line. You know, maybe it has a better chance of survival. I think if you can if you can tell those stories, like if you've got if you've got kind of a knowledge keeper or a tradition that can help pass the stories of the plant from one generation to the next. That and when also it's a small
0: helps. puny thing for the next for our lifetimes, yeah. Like when when we think, oh, we could easily just take it out and replace it. Totally. But, but no, 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 no. This is not a, <laughs> this is not a 40 year lifespan tree. This yeah. is a thousand, thousand lifespan tree. Like, yeah. Are you, no, yeah. no, 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 This is, this is not a tree we're taking down here.
1: I love like, the idea that would of. Play,
0: that would mess with us.
1: It, yeah, it would mess with you. I also love the idea that, um, I think I've talked to you about this before, you know, normally when you develop a site, you know, it's common for the developer to be like, just like, like, uh, like wipe it blank and like blank canvas start over. But I think that you get interesting things when a developer is forced to look at the site and then create something that works on that site and and sticking a thousand year old tree in the middle of it might be a tool for for forcing somebody to be like, okay, we're inheriting something, right? We are taking the conditions that we were given. How can we use those conditions to create, you know, kind of what comes next? and how
0: could we how could we take that and then apply it to a tree that does only live for 40 years because we 100%. value we would value its contributions yeah. differently yeah. rather it's than replaceable.
1: It's 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 these kinds of conversations that I think are valuable. So even if none of those trees make it past 100 years old um, the fact that it would, could potentially spark a thousand conversations about long-term thinking, I think is useful in and of itself. I do love the idea though um, of, of like, oh, I love the idea of hosting a party in the year like 3021. So like everybody who gets their tree gets their ticket, either gets their invitation, it's their ticket to the to the 3021 party. Um, and in order to get in a, at the party, you have to present your ticket and that might be kind of a fun way to pass down the knowledge of and whereabouts of the tree from generation to generation and see who shows up in a thousand years uh, to, to to the uh, thousand year birthday party.
0: Okay, um, Dustin, this idea has, <laughs> this seed has now been planted. So we'll, <laughs> right. we'll, see, we'll see what comes yeah. of it.
1: <laughs> the last thing that I would love to do. Okay. Would be to take like a dollar for every tree and put it in an endowment fund. Like... Go to the Edmonton Community Foundation, be like, here's a thousand dollars, like invest this for the next thousand years. Um, because I think two things could happen. One, that'll make a hell of a 3021 birthday party for these trees. Or two, you can imagine a situation, you know, a thousand years from now, when one of the trees is, I don't know, being threatened with development and all of a sudden it has the financial resources. It has a thousand years of, of compounding interest to be like, uh actually, um, no, you're not gonna de- redevelop the site. I'm buying it. I own my site. Um, you know, go develop somewhere else. So And what if them-
0: what if what if every year we had a birthday party to just annually recognize this tree is for today? Yes. It's, it's <laughs> totally 1996 more years at yeah. least yeah. left in it.
1: Yes. Well, and stunning. that that annual tradition could, you know, if that's passed down to, then that that adds to the
0: Edmonton's Tree Day.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it's. I love thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, uh. So
0: that's a really long term. <laughs> yes. Thing. Yep. Um. Let's um. Let's between the two of us identify some shorter term sure simple not that that's not valuable that is not at all what I'm communicating um, shorter term simple um, things that we can do in our in our in our yards if we have yards mm-hmm. or in our neighborhoods in our cities that can help um, like just things that we can do um, small that have a big impact. It's Earth Week, Yep. and um, like just practical things to do.
1: I saw on Instagram today a picture of your front yard. It looks like you're con- pulling out some lawn.
0: Well, I'm I'm not pulling it out, but I am getting rid of it. So it's the, the Mulch good it over old top of it. Cardboard. Yep. Leaves, and it's it's my third summer here. So each year I go a little bit further. Yep did some dumpster diving for cardboard over the winter. And I yeah. can tell you that, you know, just after boxing day, it's a really good time to go and get <laughs> cardboard. And I'm very glad to not have it sitting around now. That's great. It's, yes. It's out. Yeah. So, so yes. Getting rid of the lawn Yeah. and growing things more, yeah. more complexity than just grass.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. And, 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 you know, to kind of go back to your cardboard piece there, right? Like cities, like ecosystems accumulate resources, and that cardboard is only a problem if we don't have a use for it. The the com you know the food scraps that we accumulate are only a problem if we don't have use for it. The the mulch from removing a tree is only a problem if you don't have use for it. And and I kind of play a little bit of a game in my mind of like, is my yard getting heavier or lighter over time? Um, <laughs> where it's like. Cause I mean, like when you, when you mow your lawn and you bag it up and you throw it out, you're, you're literally accumulating your yard and throwing it out. And I, and I wonder like collectively as a city, are we, are we, are we increasing in mass or decreasing in mass? Like biomass, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, even. Like, I mean,
0: my, my operating principle is, is if it, if it falls here, yeah. it can stay here. It
1: can stay here totally
0: so there's no bags of anything i went i went and grabbed a neighbor's bag of leaves yeah <laughs> my walk this morning and then shook it out in my front yard yes yeah. i've got i've got a little bit of a fence and like it'll all decompose and it's not going to be soil this mm-hmm. this season yeah but it's not long before it's like i'm just making soil and allowing the natural process. Like at forest, the trees fall, the leaves fall off the trees. Totally. Yep. They don't get bagged up and sent away. So You're I feel called like leaves I'm, for a reason. I know like I'm cheap, right? I also, I don't wanna go to the trouble of doing it. Yep. I don't wanna pay for bags. I don't as a taxpayer wanna pay for big trucks to drive around the city to take bags to the to the landfill. And yep. okay, so if it's allowed to decompose there and it turns into organic material, okay, that's good. But it could also happen in a far more decentralized natural way where we don't bag grass and leaves yep. Yep. and send them away. So that's a very simple thing. It's it's kind of do. this
1: moving towards, I don't know, I've, I've heard it referred to as like sponge city, right? It's like like creating creating environments that are permeable and that hold on to the water that lands there. Um, We've already talked about this, but like we, like our landscapes are kind of hydrophobic. We're, we're scared of water because water concentrated in the wrong place can do damage. Um, And, but we also, you know, we've, we've, we, we shed it from our landscapes and we also throw away our capacity to build healthy soil that will hold onto it. Cause if you can, you know, if you think of an ecosystem as a sponge, when you get too much rainfall you know, it it soaks up the excess and then it makes it available for when you don't have enough rainfall. So it's simultaneously a flood and a drought like prevention tool. And by doing things like building healthy soil, you like each yard can become, you know, part of a, a neighborhood um, stormwater management yeah. system. Right. Be so the neighborhood you don't,
0: sponge right in your front yard, your totally, backyard, the boulevard. You,
1: Yeah. And you don't need nearly as much of that hard infrastructure then to, to be able to account for those, you know, hundred year floods. The other thing that happens too, is like, if people it's, I think we underestimate how much energy water can hold, right? Mm. Like if, if you increase water in your landscape, either like literally in the vegetation or in the soil, you all of a sudden have drastically cut down on sort of extreme temperature swings. Um, So the, and, and water also has this other like, I guess it's not just water, but anytime something goes through like a phase change, like goes from, you know, anytime water, anytime, water freezes, it gives off heat. And anytime water melts it, hold on, do this backwards. Anytime it, if it freezes, (laughs) let me get this straight in my mind. Uh, I've taught this so many times. There
0: you go science teacher.
1: Yeah. When, when water (laughs) freezes, it gives off heat and when water melts, it absorbs heat. And so even just things like our freeze thaw cycles. Like if you've got water in your landscape, it doesn't go through those crazy freeze-thaw cycles because it takes it. It it it's it's actively kind of fighting against it. And so as a gardener, that's been huge for me because, you know, I I, I like that, that late frost or whatever isn't nearly as damaging. Um, but a landscape full of water, also on those extremely hot days, just doesn't. Doesn't heat up like like so a when landscape you say a that,
0: landscape full of water, like what would that look like? Like if yeah, I walked it, by your garden, what would I see that a neighbor well, maybe wouldn't have?
1: What you would see is really healthy, spongy soil and lots okay. of plants, right? Like it literally okay. doesn't need to be a pond, right? Okay. Even even a tree has you know like a tremendous amount of water in it, and yeah. so. It doesn't mean pools of water breeding mosquitoes. It means a landscape that has the capacity to absorb water that lands there, and you know, slowly release it through transpiration of you know through okay. the plants or you know moving through 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 the ground. Um, and so, so, a
0: landscape that has more plant diversity than grass is,
1: is going to be better able to do it
0: or paving yeah. material.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, healthy soil. I, a lot of people, um, just came through a year of like learning how to make sourdough starters. Yes. Um, and, uh, I I'm guilty. I, I also started a sourdough. Uh, and it is, it's interesting. You have to, you have to baby it, right? You got to feed it. <laughs> and if you don't feed it, it, it dies. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you have? You've got a whole bunch of like, you've got a medium that is largely the food for the the microorganism you're cultivating. Um, and you have water in there. Um, and if it doesn't have food or if it doesn't have water, it dies. And what is soil? It's exactly the same thing. And unless you feed your soil, or unless your soil gets fed on a regular basis, it, it okay, dies so in the same clear, way. Okay,
0: let's be clear here, Dustin. How do you feed it?
1: You feed it by by letting organic matter land on top of it. Those leaves that are landing yeah. on top of that on top of that soil are feeding the soil. It's actually like it's built in in our environment where we have these seasons and you get all of this fresh organic matter that lays on top and you get these sort of strata. So the
0: naturally occurring organic matter not yes. not the bags
1: not or the, the bags. bottles yeah. of
0: stuff that comes from a store.
1: Totally. Yeah yeah you don't need it um but you know even if you have lawn right even just like leaving the clippings there mm-hmm. is it's just going to be returning back into the soil yeah. so that is better than bagging them up and throwing them away
0: yeah so that's a few practical ways as citizens in our whether we don't all have a yard but whether yep. we have a yard or we work in a community garden or we tend to the green spaces that are in our neighborhood like those are tangible ways we're helping the ecology of our city improve so mm-hmm. that our cities are are like start to help help the planet rather than be a be a yep. draw and if that is the case we're also helping our cities serve us better
1: yes. ecologically
0: speaking yep. like yep. we have a hand in this it's not it's not magically done by other other beings or creatures. It's 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 in our hands to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that, you know, we talked a lot. I mean, I kind of uh talked very poorly of of asphalt earlier in the conversation. But I mean, even if we think about our built environment and and it as even if we take something that, like I literally use it as a definition for something that has like no connections, right? But it doesn't mean it can't have connections. And so I think a good question to ask yourself is like, ecologically, what can a sidewalk do? What can a parking lot do? What, What can a house do? And you have, you know, a couple off the top of my mind, you've got thermal mass, right? Sidewalks, parking lots, houses, they all warm up. And this can be a problem in cities. You can end up with urban heat island effect, which has all kinds of negative uh, health consequences, um, energy, uh, excess energy use. Um, But I mean, a a sidewalk in the right place can be a tool for watering a garden, right? It's a hard surface that water's gonna run off of. So, you know, if if you think about that as a water harvesting structure You've now built in a new connection to it, and you're you're sending that water, you know, to some plants, to a garden, which is also then you know fulfilling the things that we just talked about in terms of pre- pre- preventing uh, drought and preventing um, uh, flooding. Uh, a house, you know, the right tree planted in the right place at the house, uh, uh, relative to a house, um, that that excess thermal mass from the the house can create a microclimate for the tree. The tree can also, you know, shade the house in the summer, but let, you know, sunlight in, in the winter. And so there's, there's, I think the, you know, thinking about the, the built environment and the natural environment as ecotones, you know, if you're looking, if you put your sort of ecosystem designer lens on Mm -hmm. um, and you're saying, you know, where, like, what can this fence do besides, you know, provide a barrier between me and my neighbors? Um, what does this, what can this sidewalk do besides, you know, just act as a path? How can I tie that into the garden or tie that, you know, the landscaping or whatever, whatever kind of goal you have, then you can start to um, consciously create the conditions for those connections to happen.
0: And this again is an example of why I think of you so often when I think about how work works in the city, because you have a very specialized um way of looking at the city or contributing to it and i want to make it clear to listeners that we we don't all need to be a dustin Bager. we we only need to have some awareness and trust that the work that you're doing justin dustin is is contributing and then each of us in our own way are making contributions but there's there's something fascinating in the city too for me about how our work differentiates like as the bigger cities get and yep. just over time, humanity, like we differentiate, we differentiate, our work gets more and more specialized, which means we're, we're each of us potentially making very unique contributions, but we don't all need to make the same
1: no, contributions, not at
0: all. Yep. right? Which is another facet of a, of an ecosystem. Like each, each part is playing a part and it adds up to something much bigger than the sum of the parts but you you so beautifully exemplify there's this thing I'm interested in and I'm I'm just like I'm I'm passionate about it I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna share my ideas and I'm gonna start a tree nursery or whatever it is you're gonna do next like the thousand year tree project like these are just you just wonderfully exemplify notice what it is that you feel called to do and then and then take action. Without needing to be the expert, like that first invitation into right. the river valley where people show up, and now what? But it's just like take the initiative to do something that you feel called to do, not something that someone else is telling you you should do, right. but something that's from from deep, deep within. So thank you for being a wonderful example.
1: Thank you. That's, that's very that. kind of you.
0: Yeah. It very much. I mean, for me, like that, that passage I read at the beginning out of the book, like the subheading here is, it's just screaming at me on my screen here. But vocation is a journey of conscious citizenship, and you exemplify that. So before we part, yep. uh, check out question, which is uh, one thing that you you know now that you didn't know at the beginning of this conversation, and me too.
1: Ooh
0: yeah I have to pause here
1: yeah that's a good question
0: I think what's resonating for me is the the apricot tree and the story of decades ago you know they're transplanted here and then another layer of transplantation there's there's like what are the stories we don't know because It's in a tree that doesn't speak language to us that somehow we need to give the language to and I I think about I don't really care for apricots but (laughs) I really I've been this is no this is a little bit of irony is recently I've been thinking like I know I want to have a couple of espalier trees on one side of my Mm -hmm. my home that's my research project for this spring is to figure it out but I'm now thinking hang on a second maybe maybe i am open to an apricot tree
1: i know where you can find one
0: then let's talk
1: (laughs) um i'm really encouraged uh by your by your your kind words in this conversation like it it's um i think i've been very fortunate in that i have been able to kind of follow my curiosity and um you know try out some some quirky things. Uh and some like like sometimes you know even even though I think that I've I've been very lucky and that I've been able to do that. Um it's still always like a little bit of a a, a leap of faith. And um this conversation has just kind of reminded me um of yeah how how important it is to kind of keep being curious and to keep maybe being a little bit foolish and, and, and following those, some of those ideas.
0: May you continue to be curious (laughs) and appropriately foolish.
1: Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was lovely.
0: Here are a few questions for you to ponder after having listened to this episode. Where is your curiosity about the city taking you in your work? And remember, work is a contribution you make, whether paid or unpaid. What seed of an idea is growing in you right now? Or what established ideas have just been nourished? Thanks for listening to the City Nest Making Podcast. If you'd like to further explore city nest making and who we need to be to make cities that serve us well, check out bethsanders.ca. Until next time, build with care. Let's aim to be conscious of how we make these places we call home.